we have an all-star game announcement, a bunch of new hirings, a new stadium name, and how is this lockout going to affect IndyBall? We'll let you know the answers to all of this on this episode of the IndyBall Report Podcast. Alright, we're back again. Episode number 156 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick Heaswell, and we talk about independent league baseball on this show, and then mostly nonsense after that, but you come for the Indie Ball, you stay for the nonsense. What's the uh, what's the slogan we we usually use? The uh, uh, Indie Ball and like independent league baseball, and we go off on tangents sometimes? Yep, the number one podcast for independent league baseball talk. It's a damn good show, and sometimes we go on tangents. That's what it is. There we go. All right. It describes That's the show. It, it describes the show perfectly because, as they can tell right now, the audience, uh, we're going on tangents. But it's the tangents right. that add the character to the show, really. Anyone exactly. could just talk about guys playing baseball, but how many people can go on tangents and talk about guys going playing baseball? I imagine it's still uh, a large pool, but still not as good as us. No, definitely not. And on that note. I suppose we should get to the baseball part of the show, which is, you know, talking about it and starts with the Frontier League All-Star Game, which we know is coming. We saw an open day on the schedule. I think we all kind of subconsciously figured it'd be Washington, seeing as they were supposed to host this thing in the then canceled uh, 2020 season. And so the Frontier League got them back. The 2022 Frontier League All-Star Game will be in Washington, Pennsylvania, the home of the Washington Wild Things. Uh, the celebration starts on July the 16th and will run through the 20th. I will say only the 20th really directly relates to actual all-star game festivities. The rest of it are just kind of other events at the ballpark. Uh, on the 16th, you have a celebrity softball game for the greater uh, Pittsburgh area. That's right by where Washington is. Uh, there's a handful of miles apart between the two of them. Uh, then there is an IWC wrestling event. This is kind of like uh, your wrestling, like I suppose uh, <clears throat> a uh, WWE type wrestling uh, type thing. Then there's a concert on the 19th. Uh, of this is of July, of course. Uh, it's the Eli Young Band and Lakeview. Uh, they'll be doing a concert. And then on the 20th, there is the Frontier League All-Star Game uh, themselves. East vs. West this year, so kind of a very traditional format. Uh, and there's going to be a nice little bit of a twist here where each team, so a player from each of the teams, will be wearing a jersey from a uh, local Negro League team. So back when Negro Leagues existed, uh, obviously like for, say, the Jackals, they may wind up going with like, uh, say the Nork Eagles or something like that, where it's, uh, they wear a jersey re- uh, representing that. And then the jersey will be auctioned off after the game. If you want to attend, you're, let's say, in the local, uh, greater Pittsburgh area. Uh, tickets start at $5 and the lower bowl is 10 So, uh, not too bad price wise. Pretty good, actually. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, not it, at all. It uh, seems like it's going to be a fun, uh, Fun week there. Yeah, first of all, I think it's those tickets are very affordable. So uh, if, you, if you're in the area, I would I would try and take a look at that. I mean, five dollars to get into the ballpark for an All Star game is pretty awesome. But uh, I think we kind of knew this was coming. 
just because, as you mentioned, Nick, the uh, the Frontier League All-Star game was supposed to be there in 2020 before the world essentially ended. Uh, and so it only makes sense to go back to Washington, of course, with no All-Star game at all during the 2021 season. It just made sense to go right back there. Not to mention, Washington's a great park. It's a good location. Uh, it's not exactly, you could call it like, pretty close to the center of the frontier league territory at this point. Yeah. I think you, I think it's, you could call it similar to that kind of area. So it just makes sense. It's a reasonable trip for, for most places uh, to go to Washington PA. I, I think it's a, it's a good decision to bring it back to where it was supposed to be in 2020 and, so they can host their, they can host it right, really bring in the money that all-star games are meant to bring in. And of course, celebrate the talent that the Frontier League has. Like the East and the West matchup is, is, is good to see it go back to. Real exciting. I think that those $10 tickets to sit in the lower bowl and $5 to get in is really cool. I mean, that's, that's very, it's very cheap. But listen, 20, if they didn't get to have it in 2020, it was only right to give it back to Washington for, uh, the 2022 All-Star game. Absolutely agree with that. I kind of expect we're going to continue to see this trend. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Atlantic League announces an All-Star game in uh, Southern Maryland either uh, this year or next year because they had theirs canceled like that. So it just kind of makes sense to, to give it back to those uh, teams. And likewise, I think it's really cool how they're incorporating the the uh, Negro League uh, jerseys and whatnot into I think that's going to be a really cool look on the field. I know some people like to see, you know, all the jerseys from the teams that are in the league, but I think this is kind of a, it still gets you a local twist on it. And I think obviously, you know, auctioning them off afterwards and then donating the money, I believe it was to the Josh Gibson Foundation, if I'm not mistaken. And to give that money and give that kind of, uh, I guess, a brand awareness or notoriety and celebrate the the Negro Leagues, which are very good baseball. You know, I think it's really solid to do that, and I think it's going to be something that looks really cool on the field there. And I think it's uh, I think it's a very nice touch. And I think independent baseball, especially, has been really good about this kind of thing between the Monarch rebrand, this, and then there was a couple of other moments too, because I know there was games in the American Association where it was like the Grays versus the Monarchs and things like that. I think that's a really, really cool thing. And I think that that's an element that shouldn't be lost in this either. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, totally agree. I, I think you're 100% right when you say that Independent League Baseball has really been on the forefront of this type of thing. Uh, it's a really cool touch. I think that it gives it the the attention that I think it deserves with like, the one player on the one player on each team and not to mention I think that it's just really cool uh, I, I think it's to don the jerseys of those Negro League teams from their re- from their specific regions and like even though the jerseys the, uh, themselves you know might look a little different it's, it's still cool and then the jerseys uh, will be of course gets up be auctioned off uh, so it's really cool I, I think I can't wait to see how it's executed and how it turns out. Uh, because it, it's a cool idea, and uh, I'm glad to see the Frontier League taking initiative on it. Because it's, uh, I'm interested to see how it comes out and how it's executed. Because the idea is, is a really creative one, and I'm, I'm excited to see how it ends up. 
Yeah, definitely. And also, the week of events leading up to it's not bad either. I mean, the wrestling event seems like a really popular local thing. The celebrity softball game seems like something that I know they did in the past that was very popular. And then, I mean, Eli Young Band's actually a decently well-known band. They had a couple of songs that uh, got some radio airtime to them. So that's not bad yet either. So all in all, it seems like a really fun week for uh, those in the Washington, Pennsylvania area. So... Uh, definitely something that's going to be uh, on the dock. Something to look forward to there. And obviously, we'll know more information about the specifics of the game and the uh, and the players and the and I guess the uh, Negro League teams that are going to be represented uh, in the All Star game uh, later on. But uh, with that said, I think we can kind of keep it moving and head over now to the next bit of news. This is a fairly quick one. Uh, admittedly, we have a new name for the Y'all's Stadium. Uh, Thomas More University is going to grab the naming rights to the ballpark. Uh, so it's now Thomas More Stadium. Uh, the school will play, will also play their uh, baseball games out of there starting in the 2023 season. A couple of stadium upgrades also coming in the form of a new scoreboard and a new video board. Those are two separate things. It's not one that's combined. It's, you know, two separate entities on it. Uh, so fairly minor change, more of a cosmetic thing than anything, but always cool seeing a nice uh, ballpark upgrade. You know, it's a different name, something to note. Yeah, especially that it's it's like the name of a, the name of a university. It's like yeah. interesting that it's like, at least when you look at the stadium, it gives the the idea that oh, this is a college stadium that a frontier league is playing, or a frontier league team is playing in, hmm. which I find to be kind of interesting and something we've never really seen before. But I guess it, I guess it doesn't really matter on the surface, but it's just an interesting change that uh, to have like a college name on the stadium, but hey, I guess, I mean, I'm sure they paid Florence, uh, I'm sure they paid the Yalls quite a bit of, quite a bit of money to do that, and uh, so I, I can see why they did it, but it, it, it does give kind of like the idea for like a casual fan, like, oh, the, the Yalls are playing like in this like college stadium, but when it's really Thomas More University is playing in the Yall Stadium, mm. so... I, I think it gives that kind of odd illusion that I guess is unique and you haven't really seen before in that sense. I mean, it, it's fine just because Florence will get some money with it with the new stadium change. It is it is a unique stadium change, though. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, obviously, you know, we have actual Frontier League teams playing out of uh, college ballparks. I mean, see the Jackals for the most glaring example of that. Right, you know, but it's, and- not, it's not called... Yeah, I mean that's it's, true, but it's like it's not like the Jackals were playing there first, and like that's the stadium that the Jackals built, and Montclair State said, "All right, we're gonna play, we're gonna we're gonna play there now." Yeah, fair, it, but it's Montclair State Stadium. Yeah, my more or less point was just that you know, obviously having a, a college and a Frontier League team, you know, kind of work together isn't unusual, and I think it it does. What kind of helps is dropping university from the title of the stadium when it's just Thomas More Stadium. At least to the people that don't know the university, it just more or less sounds like you're naming the stadium after a person as opposed to the school. Obviously, if you're True. in the area, you know, you probably know the university in the same way where if you're in the, if you're in New Jersey, you'd know, like, say, uh, TCNJ or something like that. You'd be familiar with that kind of a school or you'd be familiar with, uh, 
you know, Stockton University. So if you name a ballpark, you know, like Stockton Stadium, you go, oh, okay, maybe it's related to the, uh, to the college as opposed to, you know, being not from the area and going, oh, Stockton, I guess they just named after a person, you know, so I, I think that kind of helps with it too. If they gave them the money and it made it so that they can make a better ballpark, I don't think it's a big deal either way, you know, so I think it's a plus in that regard. So, you know, I mean, it, hey, all things considered, I think it's probably a fairly beneficial relationship on each end. You know, Thomas More University gets some more advertising and they got a nice ballpark to play in. Florence gets a, uh, what I imagine a fairly local sponsor for the ballpark that pays them a good sum of money and uh, they get an to put in a new scoreboard and video board as a result of it, so it sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty good sized win, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, and I think it's definitely a good thing for for Florence. It's just the the name, the stadium name itself is is a little bit interesting on my on, on my part. But does it really matter what to play on the field? No. So yeah. there is going to be a lot more baseball played on that on that field in that stadium, which is a, a good opportunity for Florence um, to to host more games and make more money as well. So yep. I think it's a good, it's a good partnership for both sides. Yep. Absolutely there. So we'll move on now to these new staff hirings, which is our last topic before our big discussion of the day. Uh, so the first of these hirings, uh, USPBL names a new league president, uh, Dana Schmidt will take over operations. She's been with the league since 2016 and the, uh, COO role. Uh, she's going to handle pretty much the business strategy and day-to-day operations. A uh, lot of past experience in roles like this. Uh, overall, I know we normally don't talk with the USPBL, so we probably won't spend too much time on it, but seems qualified, seems like a good hire to fill that presidency role. Yeah, certainly. I think I think she sounds like a, a great hire for the, uh, for the USPBL. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a league that that has grown quite a bit over the last few years or so. So uh, just replacing Andy Andy Appleby, uh, yeah. Appleby did a great job with, with the USPBL taking a league that was really an afterthought into making it a legitimate and independent baseball league. So, uh, but Dana Schmidt seems qualified. Seems like she's certainly uh, learning uh, under Appleby for quite a few years now. She's been with the league since it was created in 2016, so she knows where it came from. Uh, but it, it sounds it sounds like a good hire, and now she gets the chance to run the show. So, absolutely, definitely agree with it. Qualified, and uh, will hopefully help continue uh, the Appleby League into a uh, into a force there too. Because I mean, the USPBL also is a very unique league, and the fact that all four teams play out at one stadium. So, right. it's a very interesting model there. And we've talked with uh, with Justin Orenda from. Uh, from that league in the past if anyone wants to know more about that league so you can go ahead and check that out when you're done with this episode uh we move on to the next bit of news uh we'll mention this fairly quickly because i mean our thoughts are going to be pretty much the same as they were last week when we announced the gm hiring uh but it is worth mentioning uh kurt Ringcamp has been promoted from assistant general manager of the gateway grizzlies to general manager uh, he's been with the organization since 2013 mainly on the stadium ops side Worked his way up to the assistant GM role in 2018, and now is the official GM, fourth GM 
in the Grizzlies history. Uh, pretty much all I'm going to say from this is he's a guy that knows the facility. He probably will be able to help fill out more dates there know how far you can kind of push the facility and what's its capabilities as far as hosting things and how many things you can host in a certain time frame which is definitely a plus uh all that said though again i don't think it affects the play on the field all too much but it is a, an interesting hire i mean good to again see people hiring from within it seems like if you want to move up the chain in baseball and have a gm role fairly quickly the independent league uh, route is the best of all the routes to take yeah, certainly. I think that, especially with independent league teams, you see this trend of, uh, especially in a GM sense of guys being moved, uh, guys or, or, or gals being moved up the, uh, moved up the chain from wherever they might start from, whether that's an intern or just like a stadium operations assistant in the case of Ring Camp. Uh, but I think you make a good point. He, he, of course, a big part of being a GM in independent league baseball is, uh, scheduling different things with the facility um, and just knowing what kind of events you can host there. So I, I think that's a good perspective for ring camp to provide in all of this. So uh, it seems like it makes a lot of sense. He's, he's been with gateway for quite a while now. So making him the GM seems like a, a, a logical decision. Yep, Absolutely. There seems like a solid hire. We'll see uh, how that works out in the future. So we move on to actually affecting the play on the field type hires here. We have Greg Taggart's replacement, and that's going to be Lamar Rogers. He is the fourth manager in team history. He is uh, going to be taking over, uh, like I said, for Greg Taggart. Uh, he was originally going to manage the Princeton Whistlepigs, uh, formerly the Princeton Rays, back when, you know, the Appy League existed as an affiliated league. Uh, but, you know, things changed, so he will move to professional baseball again, I suppose. Uh, he managed Astro Organization teams since 2015, so that's a lot of, like, Greenville, Tri-City organizations like that. He was running, prior to his experience with the Astros, he was with St. Paul for 14 years, 10 of them as a hitting coach. Uh, he also played in the old Northern League for a little bit. A dude seems like he is uh, a guy that knows baseball. Also is fairly recently managing in not only affiliated ball, but also with kind of younger uh, players. So he does seem like he knows what he's doing. He seems like a very qualified guy for the position. And I think he is uh, a very good candidate to fill in. Uh, at this time, and in fact, that they managed to take him away from another team, also should say a lot about the uh, the Gary organization. The sense of they're that appealing to work for that you go, well, I'm going to pass up this uh, current opportunity I have for one that is better than that. So, uh, certainly an interesting hire. A hundred percent. I think it's a really strong hire, a really really strong hire uh, for Gary. And and of course, it's really hard to find a. Uh, a, a guy who can just simply fill the shoes of Greg Taggart. Because yeah. we, we've mentioned at length and we've talked about Greg Taggart. Gary's not going to be able to do that. You can't just fill the shoes um, of Greg Taggart right off the bat. However, I think Lamar Rogers seems like a, a terrific hire. Not only uh, does he have plenty of managerial experience uh, with the like, in affiliated ball with those younger guys, as you mentioned, of course, Trying to get production out of your rookies is a huge part uh, of of both Frontier League and American Association Baseball. And anytime you can get production out of those rookies, 
your team is going to be a lot better as a result. Uh, so he has he has experience managing in the lower minor leagues. He had a lot of success right in the in the lower minor leagues as well, winning the Appalachian League uh, when back when the Appy League was was a rookie was a rookie ball affiliate. Uh, he won the he, he won the league in, yeah. in in 2015. So he's had a lot of success as a manager. We know we can manage the game, uh, and then that leads to the next question. Does he know indie ball? And boy, does he know indie ball! Yeah. So, uh, I mean, fourteen seasons with with St. Paul, uh, obviously a model organization with how they run things, how they build their roster. He's been an assistant coach uh, with St. Paul for for quite a while. He's played for St. Paul. He knows indie ball. Uh, he knows how to manage. So, I, I think he honestly, to, to be quite to be quite real, I think Lamar Rogers really checks all of the boxes. For Gary, and I, I seriously think that they hit it out of the park with this hire. I think it's a really, really strong and a, and a really good decision for Gary because Lamar Rogers seems like like a stud candidate. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, especially because you figure most of that time with St. Paul, if not all of it, was spent with uh, with George Samus as a manager, and that's right. a, certainly a very good guy to learn how to coach from. Uh, and not to mention that independent league experience isn't just independent league experience. It's a lot of American Association and Northern League experience. So a lot of the same leagues that Gary has been in. So he kind of already knows that kind of culture. He knows the teams in the league. He knows a lot of the personnel around the league. So obviously there's a lot there uh, to like as well. So definitely like that. And also, uh, so a bit of a diversity hire. I believe according to the, the release from Gary, only the third African-American manager in partner league balls so among the four partner leagues. Uh, there, there too. So, for what that is worth, it's also nice to see a little bit of diversity in the hirings as well too. So that's that's definitely going to help as well. And all in all, uh, very good hiring from Gary. Uh, definitely a diversity hire as well. Uh, that that is certainly a plus. However, just I mean, Rogers seems like he has all the experience necessary needed oh, absolutely. to uh, to be an American Association manager. So definitely, Gary is a team to watch out for and see how he does because uh, it seems like he has all the credentials to be a very strong American Association manager. Absolutely. I'm actually interested to see what he does with his roster too because he's getting this obviously right. pretty much the beginning of March now and a lot of teams have been already making a lot of moves. Obviously, if you follow the Instagram page, you'll see the transaction reports and the American Association is always a very solid block of moves. So it's going to be very interesting to see what his roster starts to look like as compared to a Greg Taggart roster, that kind of interim no management roster. So uh, definitely going to be interesting to see what he does there. Uh, but also just very interesting to see how he does. Cause like you said, well, he is extremely qualified moving over to Stan Island. First off, I want to say something. I was wrong about it being a uh, Heath Quinn. Uh, it was not Heath Quinn they signed. It was the guy that I looked at when I was going through, when they dropped all the clues for who this could be. I was like, oh, well, let me look through the possibilities. The guy they signed, I quickly looked up because I'm like, no, I don't think it's this guy. And it was Mariel Batista. Um, he's fine. You know, he's fine. Uh, so I wanted to, to circle back to that from last week because I know we teased that. And I want to just touch on it quickly. No real in-depth breakdown on him because we want to talk about the bigger news of the week, which is the new Stent Island pitching coach who is former New York Met, former Long Island Duck, and former SNY analyst Nelson Figueroa, which is a very, very big hire. 
obviously for several reasons. One, you're having a former major leaguer that played in the New York area. Again, New York connection there. Uh, and who was a fairly good major league pitcher as well. He hung around for a while. And obviously he pitched in the Atlantic League. He knows the Atlantic League. He's familiar with the people around the Atlantic League. So those two things are huge pluses, especially when you have, uh, a lot of people around the organization that are still new to the league, still trying to figure it out. Figueroa is good on that regard. He kind of helps with that transition and he's a guy that knows uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of people there. And also on the broadcast side from his time with SNY, I imagine he does know a lot of media type people who could possibly help promote the team, help get more uh, eyes on the team, you know, things like that. So that's also kind of an ancillary benefit here on top of him being a pitching coach. I think that's a, a really nice hire. I really like that hire, especially as kind of more or less an assistant coach for the team. Yes, Staten Island's really bringing in a lot of big names yeah. uh, into into their organization. So whether it turns into wins on the field, well, we'll have to see. But Staten Island is certainly they're bringing they're bringing in big names, recognizable names to try and establish this brand of theirs. Uh, and listen, Nelson Figueroa is a big name, uh, just because obviously, as you mentioned, Nick, he's on SNY was a was quite a good reliever. For the Mets for a while, I'm sure he has some sort of relationship with Edgardo Alfonso. Mm-hmm. Both of them, uh, Mets guys through and through. Seems like the Staten Island is trying to ditch the Yankees and pick up the Mets, but you know, yeah. and, uh, obviously not, not actually. But yeah. uh, I mean, Figueroa. It seems like we know his experience, right? His, yeah. his experience certainly cannot be questioned. So I, I don't think I need to go too much into the experience part of this. However, I think, Nick, you bring up a really interesting point about the media side of things. Because uh, not that Nelson Figueroa is uh, is like some terrific like promoter and media guys, but he does know guys who are, right? Yeah. Uh, he knows guys within SNY and around the media, uh, around the New York media market that can help promote this team. And for whatever that's worth for, from the pitching coach – I, I think is it's not something we know yet, but I think it's it's an interesting angle to view from that just because of the guys he knows and of course he's a big name. He can help bring he can help bring people uh, to the ballpark along with of course Edgardo Alfonso and, and others and we'll see who they're signed as far as their roster. That's still uh, in the early stages, but Figueroa is certainly a big name. Seems like a, a solid higher for a pitching coach for sure yeah definitely agree with that like i said regardless of how his departure from sny went he still almost certainly has connections with some of these guys he's probably on good terms with a lot of them so i definitely think that could help whether that be you know on tv in print radio whatever it may be he's definitely going to help with that and really as far as stan island goes the one thing i would like to see them do before i really start getting high on them because i'm i'm starting to really take interest in this team and what they could do and where they could go is i just want to see one really solid kind of marquee player right now they don't really have that on the field the staff is there the staff is great and you can promote the staff and arguably you should do that on some level because you can control your staff year to year it's fairly easy to know what your staff's going to look like coming into a season. It's probably going to stay the same for a while. And obviously we know the kind of turnover on an indie ball roster. But I would just like to see one kind of marquee player that was either a Yankee or a Met that had some major league time, maybe a couple of years in there, that kind of comes the face, of at least the anchor of year one, that you can put on the programs, that you can put on the ads around town, that you can 
use for whatever it may be. He's just kind of your face of your franchise. I, I want to see one guy like that. And also, I'd like them to be a productive player. You know, whether that be like a Ty Kelly or maybe like a Gavin Ciccini or something like that. You know, some player there that has, you know, some some substance to them both on and off the field. That's what I really would love to see. Obviously, that's something much easier said than done, but I'm just kind of still waiting for that one big splash signing, you know? Yeah, you're right. We haven't really gotten that yet from Staten Island. And listen, if they think that Casey Clemens is their big splash hire, I got I got other news for you. Yeah. Because he's not... I mean, it's cool. Like, he seems like a, like a decent option to play, like, first base, but... Yeah. Uh, other than that, I don't think that has the yeah. the marketing and the face of the franchise effect that uh, maybe some people think it does. But uh, I mean, the staff is certainly there. So I, yeah. uh, you know, I agree. I think we're just waiting on uh, a big player signing from them, and I guess we haven't seen it yet. Still early, so it's still still early. We're just at the beginning of March, so yeah. uh, still plenty of time. In, in that department, but I think that uh, the, it'll be interesting to see if they if they do indeed uh, bring someone in because the the staff and the big names on the staff is definitely there for the Ferry Hawks. Yeah, certainly there, and it's just it's one of those things though where like you look across the rest of the league, like mainly I look at Lexington and uh, the Kentucky Wild Health team, and I mean just look at all the guys that have major league experience that were announced today that they signed about five or six guys, so. I mean, like, obviously they're able to get these guys in, and I'd imagine that Stan Island that has a billionaire as part of their ownership group, amongst other, you know, fairly wealthy individuals, I mean, look at their ownership group, they like to tout the Pete Davidson's part of it, now I'm not sure if it's just kind of a, let me buy 2% of this team type of deal, or what it may be, but you have a lot of money in that group here, so obviously you're spending to whatever the Atlantic League cap is, and you're in New York, I just don't think it's that hard to recruit players in there. Uh, so I, I'm very interested to see who's that splash. Because like you said, well, Casey Clemens and Altasin, Jose Valdez, great pieces, great supporting pieces, not marquee pieces. It's at least not at this point. So it is going to be interesting to see what they uh, wind up doing. So with that, we do now go to kind of our discussion bit. Not sure how long our discussion is going to run for, but it is worthy of mentioning because Major League Baseball is now officially in the lockout that has canceled games, regular season games. This obviously has will have a ripple effect throughout all sorts of baseball, and obviously anyone that's been uh, on Twitter knows the whole parade of people going, support your local college team, support college summer leagues, support minor leagues, and support independent leagues obviously we've been on that support independent leagues bandwagon since before it was cool we're the hipsters of that and uh, we figure we might as well take some time to talk about how it could trickle down and affect the independent leagues already we've seen high point put out a pretty cool promotion where you could take uh, tickets to any canceled mlb game and swap them for uh, tickets to a high point rockers game that's pretty cool we've seen a couple other uh, promotions as well throughout the independent world. Uh, and obviously there's been speculation where some guys could sign that aren't playing, that are honestly a 40 man that could sign with an independent league club until they are, or that are part of an organization with a team that just isn't playing. They could sign with an independent club until the season starts. 
Uh, that ain't gonna happen besides the practical reasons. Uh, I have people telling me that the word's kind of down, that uh, that's a no-go, that Major League Baseball's kind of told their partner leagues, don't do that. Don't sign these guys. Yeah. Rich, I understand that partially. You know, I totally get it. And also from a player perspective, let's be real. If you have a big contract with Major League Baseball, with one of their teams or organizations, you're not doing anything to jeopardize that because at worst you lose a year of money. And it's not like you're recouping much by playing independent league ball. Uh, so it doesn't make sense to risk doing something that could void out that contract. If you're more of a 40 man guy that's in like a double triple A level, it doesn't really make much sense to again risk an injury that's going to, you know, take you off the field and uh, possibly throw away your last good chance at making the major leagues. It just doesn't make sense again for the amount that you're being paid, especially if you're like a higher level prospect that has bonus money in their contract again do you really want to risk doing anything that could void your contract yeah nick you kind of beat me to the point because that was the big point that i wanted to make in this yeah. discussion people and listen it's funny for teams to you go on their social medias and put bryce harper in a barnstormers or a york revolution jersey or a mm. DeGra- like that's all cool that's all well and fun the reality is MLB players who are under major league contracts, whether it's technical, whether they are quote unquote technically under contract right now, uh, cause they're not. However, the odds, it's just not, it's just not realistic because of the money that's attached to them. And technically, can a team say, no, you can't go play for Gastonia? No, they can't, but. Again, the players' union, I think, knows a little bit better than that just because of the ramifications that that could have. Um, I think it would, it's just, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense from a practical standpoint. Would it be great? Of course. Uh, now, the real ripple effect, because that's like, that's probably what more like the media will like be like, oh, our guy's going to play like in the partner leagues. They're not going to play the partner leagues who are yeah. like, that's not going to happen. Maybe like the guys who are more like roster filler, minor leaguers who are looking for somewhere to play. It, well, their seasons, we got to remember, they're starting their season on time. Yeah. So uh, now that brings me to my real effect of the lockout, and which why is why I don't think that, I think that this makes this a look quite a bit harder for independent league baseball is because uh, the lockout affects, of course, players that are under major league contract. But it also affects all players on 40-man rosters. So guys who are on 40-man rosters, uh, which are probably about half the AAA teams, or probably half the players on the AAA roster, uh, they are ineligible to play during a lockout during the minor league season because they are technically, as a 40-man roster player, looped in with the, the Players Association. Therefore, they are locked out by the MLB. So... That leaves a lot of roster spots in AAA. Where does that come in? That means they're going to be looking for, okay, where can we find players to fill the AAA gap, to, to fill like these gaps in the AAA team? It's not like they're going to rush prospects, like top prospects, who are like maybe only at a high A level or a double A level. They're not going to sacrifice those guys and put them in AAA and possibly have them struggle, kill their confidence. That's not worth it to them. What they're going to do is probably, if this were to drag on, and certainly as a Major League Baseball fan myself, I hope it doesn't, 
but they're going to look to indie ball for these for these guys to fill out the triple AAA roster to begin the year. So if this is if if this drags on another few weeks and there's no deal, I think you're definitely going to see that these teams are going to try and bring in uh, independent league baseball guys to fill out the back end of that AAA roster. It'll give some guys some opportunities for sure uh, that they that could have them stick. That could make them stick in, in affiliated ball and maybe even get added to the Major League 40-man roster at some point as well and get called up, and that's all well and good. However, that could present some problems for independent league teams who have built their roster so much already. Now, you're, you're going to have teams who lose guys during the year, so it's not completely abnormal, but you're going to see, because at the moment, minor league baseball and the quote-unquote official start to the uh to the MLB season, which if everything goes great and they don't have to cancel any more games, I I don't know. I'm kind of doubtful about that. Yeah. Uh, would be I believe April seventh, and the minor league season is scheduled to start on April eighth. So they're essentially right at the same time. So if there are any more games that are canceled, any more games that are canceled on from this point, I think you're going to see a run on guys picked up by major league organizations to fill those AAA roster spots. So I think that is a lot more of the effect that you're going to see in independent league baseball that is a lot more realistic and impactful than Bryce Harper playing for the York Revolution, which is never going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's part of it. Plus, I mean, keep in mind, if those bigger stars start playing elsewhere in independent or partner leagues, first off, the optic of a major league, a player under a major league contract playing in a major league partner league you know, that's not a great optic in and of itself. And the fact they're playing somewhere else also is not a great way to win the PR battle. Uh, so you don't really want to do that among, I'm talking the average person, that is. So that's part of it. But you also bring up a great point, Will, where there's going to need to be a, a need to fill out the 20, 28 other spots that are not major league 40-man guys. You know, half of those guys, like you said, are... Your AAA guys, there's obviously a couple there scattered amongst the lower levels, double A and lower, but AAA is really where it is. And there, as we know, there's plenty of guys here that if they don't have AAA experience, they've done very well at leagues that I think we could confidently say are kind of like a double A plus league, you know, American yeah. Association, Atlantic League. They have that experience. Plus, as part of being a partner league, they have the data. They have the advanced data, especially on the Atlantic Leaguers. They know what the deal is. So obviously that presents an opportunity for some guys. Now that said, how many of them are going to stick? That's, that's really the point of contention. And who's going to get picked up here? Is a guy like, let's say a Scott Showman going to get picked up? He's a bit older and, you know, he may be able to do that better than someone that's a bit younger. Or do you say, hey, you know, why don't we go with like a Wyatt Ulrich who had a fantastic rookie season in the American Association as a batter? We could use him as a bit more effective and maybe we could actually think about keeping him. I think we have to be realistic here and guys that are in their late 20s, early 30s or later or older rather, if they get picked up, they're essentially going to be scab labor. That's really what they're being used as. Guys that are younger, it's more of an opportunity for. If you're, let's say, 26 or younger, you have a real opportunity here to stick around and be a productive player. Maybe, you know, get in at that 40-man like you like you suggested. And 
that's really the key point, the key distinction that needs to be made here. And obviously, I think talking on more of a greater level, it presents an opportunity if this drags out. The longer it drags out, keep in mind too, you're also just bleeding fans that just don't care to see this fight. They It's souring a lot of people on it. And there's going to be people that, if only for one year, don't really want to support Major League Baseball after all of this. So they're going to look for other alternative sources of baseball. And that comes at the end of April with the Atlantic League. It comes in the middle of May with the Frontier and the American Associations as well. And it also comes with the Pioneer League not too far after that. So it it definitely it does present an opportunity for these teams to get out there, sell the ticket packages, get the people in the ballpark, and just kind of return baseball to what a lot of people that want baseball to be. Just a fun time, a fun experience where you just watch the game. And the fact that Unlike on the affiliated level, the guys on the field are trying to win. They're not trying to develop. They're going all out because there's a higher purpose for them, which is to get signed. It definitely, I think, helps make them stand out more from the, you know, affiliated minor leagues. Now, obviously, if there's prospects or whatever, that's going to be a draw for some people. But we've discussed before, the names on the roster don't really mean nearly as much unless it's like a rehab stint. It's more or less the experience of the ballpark that means the most. So I think this is an opportunity to grow the popularity of indie ball as a whole. And it kind of really emphasizes why like that flow streaming that we talked about last week is such a bad idea because when you price it at 150, a lot of people that may have been otherwise interested are now immediately turned off from the price point. Unlike in the Atlantic League where pretty much all the streams free, I think Lexington charges for theirs and then in the American Association where you could pay like 13 a month or something like that, which isn't all too bad, but it's also a little steep. But for what it is, it's not terrible. So that doesn't turn nearly as many people off. I think there's a real opportunity to grow the popularity, though, of independent league baseball, partner league baseball, whatever you want to call it this week. Uh, it certainly, I think, is a great opportunity for them. And I think right now is we're going to get to see where that creativity and not being fenced in by a major league parent organization is really going to come in because it gives you the opportunity to really do a lot of crazy things that can win you over a lot of eyes and a lot of popularity. Yeah, that I totally agree with. I think it's a great opportunity to grow the game uh, in independent league baseball. I I agree with that. Um, there's going to be fans who are who are quite soured and rightfully so by these negotiations and by Major League Baseball. Um, who have done everything that they possibly can uh, to lose fans, yeah. uh, even just even despite the uh, unbelievable talent on the field that we really saw last year that um, made TV ratings up and TV ratings up among younger demographics, um, and they've kind of just taken a complete step back from that, and uh, so it is an opportunity. To grow, uh, to grow independent league baseball if there's no Major League Baseball on, say, through the month of April, say, through the month of May. Uh, I, I don't really want to think about worst-case possibilities beyond that point. But, um, but for, for however long, it is an opportunity to, uh, to grow independent league baseball, get more eyes on it. And, um, and that's a good point that you bring up, Nick, about the flow sports thing because – now, when you want to get, when you're just looking to get more eyes on it, you get you get slammed with, all right, how bad do you really want baseball? You're gonna have to pay thirty dollars um, 
$30 a month or 150 for the year. I mean, it's just not, it's just not realistic for someone who's made like, Oh, well, Hey, like I just need, I just need some baseball to watch. No one's going to, no one's going to pay that yeah. to do that. I mean, it's 150 um, either way when you cut it, whether it's 30 for five months or if it's uh 150 for the year, you know? Right. But I'm thinking more of the people who are they like, just right, I'm the... just going to watch this until the MLB comes back. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, if Major League Baseball has gone all, they've canceled all of April and half of May already, then uh, <laughs> I think you could probably probably just write off the season at that point, you know? I can't, I don't even want to think that it's such a possibility, but <laughs> uh, but you're right. Um, I, I just think that the, yeah, just the flow sports idea of that is why, is why that, especially in this scenario, is not a good thing. Um, and I, at least seeing on our social medias, right, uh, on like the Indie Ball Report social media, that people are not happy about this flow sports thing either. It's not yeah. just us, right? It's the, it is, of course, the people um, who were who are big fans of the Frontier League that are upset about that. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not just us like speculating. There's people who are not happy with it at all. I, I think that it is a great opportunity to grow the game, to get more eyes on independent league baseball. However, it still needs to be executed the right way. You still need to get people to the park. I think the high point rockers thing, regardless of how many people it brings in, is a great idea. I think that's a really, really good idea. Uh, the issue is, I don't know how feasible it is for high point, just given its location. Yeah. It's not really near any big league parks. Like, I don't know. I don't know how. I'm not a big Carolina guy, so I don't know geography it's, that well. It, They're like, we're talking like Atlanta. It'd either be Atlanta or Washington, probably. Maybe okay. Cincinnati's pretty far still. It'd probably be either the Nats or the Braves. Yeah. So, but I think just for optics, I think it's a it's oh, a yeah. great idea, and I think teams that uh, teams that are a little bit closer to bigger markets should absolutely be looking to do that. Not even so much that uh, it's a way to fill the stands, because the reality is I don't I don't know how many people. Would actually take you yeah. up on it, but it's a really, it's a fun look, right? It's a fun look of trying. Because I mean, Nick, how many statements have we seen over the last, uh, over the last week? They're saying the lock, like, like the lockout is unaffected. Like, like it doesn't we will affect be starting us. Blank. The no matter the lockout, I, th- I think every team's released one of those. Oh yeah, it every team's released one. Some have released two. Which those lo- those other markets that are near major league teams, Chicago. Staten Island, Long Island, all of you guys have two teams nearby. Do that. Yeah, I know. I mean, well, let me. I'll just say this from my perspective. I I got, I I had Mets tickets for the first week of the season. Those aren't happening anymore. (laughs) If I, if the Long Island Ducks or Staten Island Berry Hawks want to do that promotion, I will be there. At least it wasn't it wasn't that big of an investment anyway. So I mean, it was Mets Braves. It was good. Yeah, no, it would have been a good game. But I mean, at the end of the day, if it's not opening day, they're Mets tickets. You shouldn't be paying more than like twenty bucks a piece. Oh God, no, no, I'm not paying more than twenty dollars a piece. Trust me. Yeah, uh, like I say that so, as a Mets fan. Like I honestly like see the price of baseball tickets, like major league tickets for some people, and I look and I'm like. Fifty dollars, hundred dollars. Who the hell's paying that? I could sit in the outfield at City Field for eighteen apiece. Yeah, try try going to try going to games at Fenway when you're when you're yeah. up there. <laughs> not uh, 
not not ideal. Uh, however, mm-hmm. I I think that overall, I think those teams that maybe high point set the standard. I think as far as this, but I think other teams should really follow in the footsteps, especially the ones that actually have people. Uh, who are like who go to major league games who are looking for something else to do to introduce more people to independent league baseball. I think that's the bigger thing. It's a lot more important than um, than say like the rosters and the AAA rosters and the stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Like maybe a gear exchange would be a good idea too. Where if you bring in like your old major league baseball gear, they'll give you the equivalent item in that independent league team so like you bring in a hat you get a hat you bring in a shirt you get a shirt something like that may not be a terrible idea either that would be fun if that dragged out that'd be a really good idea yeah like obviously it's start getting expensive when uh when you get to swapping jerseys but i mean you could even cap it at just <laughs> literally caps and hats and stuff like that you know like sure. i don't think that's a terrible idea uh there's a lot of other stuff you could do too like maybe you uh I mean, you could do like little on-field promotions too. Like, you know, you have the like sumo wrestling ones where the people run into each other and all that. Yeah. You could yeah. have, instead of having like the red and the blue, you go ahead and have one be the players union, the other one be the owners. <laughs> so you can have fun with this kind of thing. There's can little you things. Imagine? You can do. Yeah. I, <laughs> instead of having like the, the helmet that's just like the, the headpiece, it's actually a helmet that looks like Rob Manfred. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I feel like they can't do that as a partner league, but oh, it would God. be funny. Man, this is why I wish St. Paul was still independent. They would do it. St. Paul would do it in RP. They don't yeah. give a damn. That's what I, that's what you gotta love about St. Paul. They just they're like, eh, this sounds like it'd be funny. All right, let's do it. Exactly, and then they get seven thousand people at the game, so must exactly. be doing something right. Exactly. So honestly, if you can cover your, if you can cover the expense of it, it seems like it's worth getting whatever crap you're gonna get from it. <laughs> I think there's at yeah. least, if I'm right, there's at least one ownership group that's like, you know what, those aren't bad ideas. Someone write uh, that down. I wonder which one you're talking about. Yeah, I wonder too. <clears throat> but uh, does it rhyme with Mexington? Possibly. Actually, it, it's a little bit wild. My idea it may not be good for their health. Maybe that group. Mm, you know. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm not telling them to do it, but I know they listen. So if you'd like True. to do it, it'd be very cool. It would be cool. Yeah. It'd be funny. Yeah. So I think we touched about just everything, how, how this affects the independent league, at least that comes to mind here there are probably other benefits to it but i mean really the the two ends are for the players there's an opportunity for some older guys to really kind of turn to scab labor just to be blunt about it and for younger guys to possibly get in there and steal a roster spot uh from a off the field team perspective there's an opportunity to really grow your uh possible interest pool and even if it's temporary or even if you're only retaining like 10% of the new people, it's still a 10% bump in guys that probably would have otherwise not gone to the ballpark or would have only went once or twice for the year. So really, those are the two major elements that I can see. I'm not sure if I'm missing anything. What do you think, Will? Yeah, I think that I think those are the major elements and probably what you're looking for. So I, I, I agree with that. I think, we, I think we touched on most of it. All right. So then in that case, I, I think we're pretty much good. I think we can wrap up this week. 
Um, we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here after that. Uh, if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Instagram, on Twitter. That's where we mentioned a lot of the stuff, uh, in the past, uh, where we saw all these tweets from these independent league teams. That's all on Twitter. Pretty much if you follow Indie Ball Report on, uh, Instagram or ALPB underscore news on Instagram, you'll, you'll see a lot of that. And obviously Indie Ball Pod on Twitter, you'll see a lot of that as well, as well as those posts that are made. You can also find those posts as well as that episode we mentioned way back in the beginning, the interview with Justin Orenduff and the USPBL, uh, all on the website indieballreport.com you'll have show notes there so links to everything we mentioned in the show as well as uh, those past episodes articles all sorts of other stuff feel free to explore the site indieballreport.com and you can follow the show the actual podcast show just about wherever you find podcasts i know every podcaster says the same thing but it's on spotify it's on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it nowadays, Amazon Music, you know, pretty much every major podcatcher cast box, you know, all all the ones you know and have said before and I've said before and every other podcast has said before, it's on there. So be sure to rate and review and subscribe if you can on those podcatchers, uh certainly there. Uh with that said, do we have anything else left to add before we leave off the week? Okay, first of all, put the Rutgers Scarlet Knights in the dance. The, their, their early season losses were bad, but they're much better now in Big Ten play. They've gotten some big wins. They've answered all the questions. As long as they take care of Penn State this weekend, it should be an NCAA tournament team. Even if that means the first four, that means the first four. Also, Hofstra Pride, CAA tournament this weekend, Washington, D.C. Aaron Estrada, player of the year in the CAA. Hopefully the boys can take it home and then make it to their first NCAA tournament in over two decades. So that's what I'm hoping for. Now, if I turn on that Hofstra game, am I going to have any familiar voices talking to me? One could say if there would be a familiar voice you may hear uh, describing what is going on on the court. And live from Washington, D.C., we could, I don't know, I may or may not be hopping on a bus to get down there tomorrow afternoon. We'll, we'll have to well, see. I don't know. If that was the Maybe. case, where could people uh, tune in or turn on the TV and see? Where, where would we be able to find this to confirm or deny these reports? Oh well, I could I could definitely uh, tweet a link to it. I think that would be the if if I were to be on this hypothetical call, I could maybe watch keep an eye on my Twitter on Sunday Sunday night at eight thirty, and I could hypothetically tweet a link to it. I don't know. Yeah, so that's more reason to follow all those social media links because you can find this stuff because I pretty much retweet exactly. all of it. So exactly that that you do. Nick, Nick Firestone is my biggest. It is definitely. The biggest Will Thompson broadcaster fan, hands we, down. We support our own here. That's what That's we right. do. But, uh, yeah, all I got to add, uh, simply put, uh, Coach K final game, uh, I guess today, if you're listening, day of release, long-storied career, part of the reason I'm a Duke fan. So hopefully go off with a win against Carolina and headed to the ACC tournament with a, uh, well, I, we already got the 1C. Hopefully, we can head in there on a win. And who knows? Hopefully, I may be able to get out to Brooklyn to see you. Because for whatever reason, the Atlantic Coastal Conference has their conference tournament in Brooklyn, New York. Are you complaining? I'm not really complaining. It's just kind of weird to me that you wouldn't have it in, like, I don't know, Atlanta, Charlotte, you know. Well, they usually have it in Greensboro, North Carolina. But they yeah. do it once in a while in Brooklyn because... And get a lot of. It's usually better when Syracuse is better because there's a lot of Syracuse fans in the in the New York area. <laughs> Me, but yeah. uh, 
but you know, I, I, I may or may not be credentialed to cover the ACC tournament, so I'll be there all week. Oh, now that's cool. That, that's it really is cool. cool. I'm hoping it, I'm actually hoping to get a ask Coach K a question. See, oh, that's I, I would probably like melt and cry to be quite honest with you. You say that I'm the Duke fan here. I'm the one that's I'm real envious of this. <laughs> I have genuine yeah, envy no, for this. I, I have a busy week. We'll call it that. I could say that. I I could imagine. All right. So I guess before 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 Will tells us. Oh yeah. By the way, I'm I'm actually White House staff now too. We're gonna. I mean, I was, that was gonna be my next thing. I was gonna say I'm gonna be elected president of the United States at some point. I, yeah, that's actually why he's going down to D.C. He's gonna get sworn in soon. So that's right. He's not doing that. He actually after the basketball game, then he's swinging over to Congress. You know, he's got some legislation to pass. So that's right. Well, number one, number one, end the lockout. Number two, antitrust exemption. See ya. There we go. Then he pieces out. Uh, you want to try and get that hundred percent approval rating? I see what you're doing. Speed oh, yeah. running the game. We'll let you get busy on ending that legislation as we end off this week. The same way we end off every week. Don't forget to play ball. <laughs>